but I do want to bring you greetings from our, your sister Covenant Church in Joliet, Good Shepherd. I don't know if you know this, but I was reading our archives lately because we're coming up on our 150th anniversary, and I guess we're like very much sister churches, Good Shepherd and Hope Covenant. I think we were one church at one time about 146 years ago, so I do feel like your sister <laughs> church, and I've always felt that way whenever I've come. Um, I preached here about a year and a half ago during seminary where Jim was gracious enough to, to open the pulpit to seminarians and, uh, and actually was here last Mother's Day for your pastor's installation. So being here this Mother's Day, I feel like you're going to have to do something next year just to keep this streak going because that, that could be like three in a row Mother's Days at Hope Covenant. So be thinking about what that could be. Okay, uh, so anyway, happy to be here. Happy to also like follow along. I, I don't know who's responsible for those really cool Instagram posts you all have, but following along with what Hope is doing and your recent series, Raised to Life. So today we are going to look at one such woman's life that I think exemplifies this. And I think scripture seems to think that too because she is named in the Hebrews Hall of Faith, okay? Start seeing if you can figure out who this is before I finish. It's like Bible trivia. Um, I, have, I have a plant in the back for you. No, just kidding. Um, so she's in the Hebrews Hall of Faith. She's in, mentioned in one of the epistles. She's in the genealogy of Jesus. Are we getting any guesses yet? And the book of Joshua, and that is Rahab. So we're going to spend some time with Rahab this morning. I'm going to read now from our first encounter with her in Joshua 2. If you are so inclined, you can follow along on your favorite phone slash book slash way that scripture comes to you. Um, Let's go there together. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch them on the road. Uh, but she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up 
dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and of the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter the land and you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into the house, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. But as for those in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down the hills, forded the river and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told them everything that had happened. And they said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands and the people are melting in fear because of us. Now, a more brief part mentioning Rahab in Matthew. Now, see if you can listen here to this genealogy. Abraham was the father of Isaac. See what you can find in common. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez, whose mother was Tamar. The father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse. In James, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. And finally, in Hebrews, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Are you ready to get uncomfortable? Because <laughs> there's a lot of uncomfortable stuff in this story. But yet, the scripture repeats her name over and over, even in the genealogy of Jesus that is mainly spoken of fathers and said, but this mother, this mother of the faith, it is considered righteousness, the way that she was raised to life. So let's not forget, 
even how Rahab is called, right? She is a woman who, her place in society was not really one to be praised. Can we agree on that? Not necessarily one of those jobs that you praise people for having. And yet, here in our scriptures, she's praised. A woman who perhaps in society you wouldn't mention as part of your family, like the person you don't mention anymore at Easter or Christmas, you kind of pretend she kind of never existed, and yet she is named by name in God's genealogy on earth. A woman who didn't fit the mold in society of what is considered faithful, and yet is seen as a mother of the faith. So what can we learn from Rahab's raised to life on this Mother's Day? I'd like to go back to the text and see. Verses 1 through 3. So when they entered the house of the prostitute named Rahab and stayed there, the king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. And so he sent her this message, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house. Now, what first stood out to me in this story is that Rahab was actually doing something that was asked of the people of Israel. If you look back to Deuteronomy and Leviticus, she was welcoming the stranger. Now, one can argue, and I can take it, wait a minute, wait a minute, wasn't she a prostitute? Wasn't that a little bit of a business decision for her to welcome people? And I have to say that the jury is actually still out on this because the same consonants in the Hebrew for the word for prostitute are the same consonants for an innkeeper. So nowhere in the scriptures does it actually speak negatively of her in those Hebrew consonants. So there's, there's a little debate on whether or not she was an innkeeper at the wall, which would make sense because they were kind of the first thing someone would encounter when they came in, or whether or not her hospitality was uh, a little more generous. But what is clear is that Rahab understood kinship, or what we may call citizenship, differently. You see, Rachel Held Evans, the Christian author, some of you may have heard of her, she recently died Easter weekend. She had a quote saying that the church should be a place where everyone should feel safe, but no one should feel comfortable. And if you aren't uncomfortable yet, we should start to get uncomfortable. Because the law of the land was that she should not be welcoming these people. The king made it very clear. It was illegal to welcome these people. But Rahab understood a kinship that was different than citizenship. You see, the text, as much as I didn't want it to, and I often don't want it to, isn't letting me serve two masters. 
It isn't letting me serve the king of the land and the king of my heart. It's saying, where is your kinship? When the law comes down even to your door, where is your citizenship? And I think we see with Rahab, if it is with a flag, it isn't with our faith. And time and history has shown us that often the law of the land isn't always the righteousness of God. I was recently at a site. Friends, I don't actually want this to be so. But here's the thing. The text doesn't let us have it both ways. It just doesn't. And I was in Denver, Colorado, for our most recent uh, conference for the denomination. And we had this journey to Mosaic, and we headed out to a massacre site called Sand Creek, where uh, indigenous women and children were staying while the hunters of their tribe were out. And there was a brigade of American soldiers that came and thought this would be a good time to get that land we've been always meaning to get over here. And the sergeant said, all right, it's time to take advantage of the situation and attack. And there was this one sergeant, well, I'm not good at this, one of the officers. Somebody's going to know better than me on that. Uh, he chose his citizenship that day. And he said, I'm not going to go kill those women and children. And he refrained, and he didn't let any of his soldiers go forward. He followed the kinship of his faith because he knew he couldn't serve two masters. And later he testified before Congress as to the events of the day and was shot for not siding with America. This happened 150 years ago and Native Americans still decorate his grave. When we went to his gravesite, I thought it was stunning. It was like he was in their hall of faith, right? Because he embodied solidarity, because his body embodied his faith and his kinship. He understood that people were made in the image of God, in the Imago Dei, over the citizenship of the Imago Gay, which is nation. Here's another one. This is tough stuff. Yesterday, yesterday in the New York Times, Teresa L. Todd was pulled over one recent night on a dark West Texas highway to help three young Central American migrants who had flagged her down. Miss Todd, an elected official, a government lawyer, and a single mother in a desert border region near Big Bend National Park, said she went into total mom mode when she saw the three siblings, two of which appeared to be very ill. Struggling to communicate in her broken Spanish, the article says, Miss Todd told the three young people to get out of the cold and into her car. And she was phoning and texting friends for help when a sheriff's deputy drove up, followed by Border Patrol. 
They asked me to step behind my car and the supervisor came and started Mirandizing me. Ms. Todd said, referring to the Miranda rights, and then he says that I could be found guilty of transporting illegal aliens. She is now in jail and awaiting trial. Much like Rahab, <laughs> Teresa Todd was living on the border of the land. And when she saw those three people who may not have belonged, I believe she understood something that Rahab understood, that Rahab is praised for, and that the resurrected life should reflect. And that is that kinship with the Imago Dei is over the citizenship of the Imago Gay. And I find it interesting that Teresa Todd even identified that understanding as a mom mode. And I want to tell you something on this Mother's Day. Did you know that God has a mom mode? <laughs> How many times he describes himself as a mother? Nursing us close to his breast, birthing us in his spirit, See, mom mode isn't about being a mother who gives birth. A mom mode is an aspect of the image of God, just like his fatherhood is. See, sometimes I believe we can tap into that more easily, that mom mode, maybe when we've experienced it from a mother or when we become a mother. But that mom mode that Teresa Todd was talking about, that she felt when she saw someone suffering, is less about being a mother and more about mothering also being an aspect of being created in the image of God. And we see this in Jesus, right? What does he say when he looks out at Jerusalem and he's weeping? He said, oh, Jerusalem, I long to take you in like a mother hen, her chicks. Was Jesus being too feminine? Or was he expressing something that mothers express of the image of God? And as far as the mom mode is concerned, the plot thickens, doesn't it? Let me just read this part again. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So, they so she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And then they said, this oath you made us swear will not be binding unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord through the window through which you let us down. Now, the word for scarlet cord here is actually one of three Hebrew words for hope. In fact, out of 34 times that this word tikvah is used in the Bible, 34 times, 31 times it's used of hope. Three times it's used of this cord. So, 
one can say that this cord, this cord with a red thread, it actually has a red thread in it, a scarlet thread inside of the rope, is a very, it's a very specific kind of rope. And I just want you to imagine with me on this Mother's Day, if you have ever seen a cord, that it's a cord that connects two things. So it ties to two things. A cord that connects two things that represents hope and expectation and life-saving and has a red thread running through it. An umbilical cord, right? Connects two things and offers hope and expectation and life-saving and connection. A tikvah. You see, Rahab wasn't just in the genealogy because she married in. She wasn't in the genealogy because she lived happily ever after or she picked the right team. Rahab became a mother of the faith when she put her body on the line. When she embodied solidarity and she chose a kinship over citizenship and held out a cord of hope that connected her to other people who needed hope. Let me just say that again. Rahab didn't become a mother of the faith through marrying the right person. She didn't come a mother of the faith for giving birth. She became a mother of the faith when she put her body on the line and allowed her faith to be held out like a cord that connected her to people needing hope. This is when her body became tied up in God's story. And this is when she was raised to life. Isn't it? Not when she gave birth. Not when she recognized that fearing God means not fearing man. Not even fearing law, but holding out hope in the most literal of ways. Because you know what? She already knew about God, didn't she? She's like, we've already heard about him. We've already heard what he's done. We've heard of his ways. We've heard of his miracles. But what does it say in the scriptures? Yeah, so... Even Satan's heard of God. <laughs> but what made the difference? When did she become raised to life? When her body was put on the line and she held out hope in the most literal of ways. A cord that connected her to others. This is why James, the writer that says faith without works is dead, includes Rahab in his letter. This is why the writer of Hebrews who speaks of righteousness includes Rahab. Because it isn't wrapped up in following the law of the land, was it? I mean, she kind of even, may not have even followed Mosaic law very well too. A little bit of distortion of truth, a little bit of sleight of hand, and yet... And yet, even in the midst of all of that, she held out her body to be connected to those needing hope, and it was credited to her as righteousness. 
She yelled out hope that connected her to a people she didn't expect. And I'm going to close with a personal story. Because over the last few years, I've been part of the North Park Seminary Program in Stateville. I don't know if you're familiar with our, we have a maximum security prison, state penitentiary, um, a few minutes from our church. And North Park Seminary, which is the seminary for the denomination, had started a master's program inside. And there's about 70 incarcerated men taking classes. And one of the things that's unique about North Park, because there are other colleges in there, there's like Northeastern and DePaul and Northwestern, but what's uh, unique about North Park is that it's an inside-outside classroom. So we have outside students who go in and um, our seminary colleagues and classmates uh, were some of the inmates. So it also was way closer for me than driving all the way to North Park. So I was like, cool, great, I'll go to Stateville, I'll go to class. Oh yeah, I'm getting a justice certificate. Sure, that'll be great. I'll go to a place where we'll talk about that. And I was in these classes for several years. There were Bible classes, history classes, counseling classes. And then we even had one class, one, my last semester, called Mobilizing for Justice with Professor Soon Chan Ra. And I remember each week we'd talk about injustice, the roots of injustice, systemic injustice, why things are the way they are. And as part of the syllabus, we each had to work on a personal project of an area of injustice that we wanted to work on ourselves, that we were aware of in our own world. So during this time, in the semester, there was a concert with the gospel choir from North Park and the gospel choir from Stateville. And during the concert, one of my incarcerated class colleagues did a spoken word piece, and he was frustrated. He just started calling things out. Things like, what are we really doing here? Are we just a zoo of animals you get to come in and watch? And then you go out and get to see, say what you saw? What are we doing here? Because each week you come in here giving me the, like, the history of guns while I'm bleeding out of a gunshot wound. What good is the history of guns to me? And it was silent. Because what Ryan was saying was, Rahab, <laughs> you sit here every week with us you have conversations with us, but when it comes down to your faith, it's pretty much dead to me because a resurrected life, a life of faith, doesn't value its life more than others. Where's the rope, Rahab? Where's the cord? Are we connected? Because otherwise, we're just talking about faith, but you're not living it out. That's what Ryan was saying to us. Where's the cord? Where's the hope? 
You come in here every week and we want to talk about justice and talk about the Bible. But talking about it doesn't make it true to my body. Not in here. So the professor of our class actually was not at the concert. So, that, so two days later, we come back to class, and you know we have this whole elephant in the room. And I said, you know, um, well, uh, yeah. So Ryan kind of had this piece at the concert. Uh, I don't know if we want to like go back there and talk about it because I have like zero conflict avoidance on my conflict uh, personality test. <laughs> so I was like, we, uh, I don't know if we can just like pretend that didn't happen. And so what happened was this really, really amazing Holy Spirit moment where I think, I think in this moment is when the North Park Seminary program at Stateville was raised to life. Because the outside students realized, as did the professor, that everything we had done up to then was just comfortable, conceptual about faith and justice, talking about our pet projects, but we weren't even considering that there was someone needing a cord connected to us, to the body of Christ. Because these gentlemen who are living their lives transformed happen to be in one of only three states in the United States that doesn't offer parole. So no matter how transformed their lives would be, they would never be able to live that out. And I just came every week and was like, oh, do you want to hear about what I'm doing in my neighborhood? As if we weren't connected. So that day, the whole project changed. We weren't doing our own personal projects anymore. The professor scrapped the syllabus, and he said, we are now working on parole in Illinois. That's what we're all going to do. We're going to find out why there isn't parole. We're going to find out why there's no cord in this window, in this place. And they've asked us, when you go to churches, when you speak to your friends, will you tell them that we live in a state with no cord of hope? You see, I was happy with just talking about hope every week, praying about hope, singing about hope. Maybe you even like being called Hope Covenant. But if we're going to be raised to life, if we're going to even appear as people who are raised to life, we have to embody hope. We have to be willing to see a kinship that is larger than citizenship. We have to embody a solidarity with those in our community needing hope. And I don't say this as someone who needs something you have, but the thing was, in that moment, it might have felt like the inmates were the one needing the hope, but the people who weren't really raised to life were us, because we had a faith that didn't even realize that we weren't connected. 
we weren't connected to suffering. We weren't really connected to justice. We were just talking about it. So yeah, after that week, we stopped being the Rahab who was just drinking coffee with the spies. And we t attached our lives to finding parole in Illinois, attached our lives to the body of Christ behind those walls because those walls may have been put up by our citizenship, but those walls don't exist from our kinship in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as I was reading about Rahab, I was struck how this woman lived and you placed her on the border of that wall and how so many times we look for the location that's the most insulated where is the safe place to live where's the comfortable place to be but the safe comfortable insulated people they're not in your hall of faith. The safe, comfortable people aren't holding cords out windows and putting their lives on the line. And Lord, if we are going to be a people who are raised to life, then we need to remember that mommy mode of God that attaches itself to those who are suffering just like an umbilical cord to a child. Lord, we have to remember that the symbol of hope has always been something that connects us to each other. And we thank you for that red thread that runs through it. Because it's by the blood of Jesus that we remember, that we remember that we are not alive on our own, but through that cord you have sent in your son. Lord, as we sing now as being a people that are raised to life, would that not be just a proclamation but a prayer? That in all those dead places where we have lived insulated, that you would be showing us what wall you want us to live near, the border of what unsafe situation, and not even just for the other person but for us. Because, Lord, as much as we want to think of Rahab as a heroine. She was also one in need of hope herself. Because by placing herself in a life that didn't see out her window, she would not have been raised to life as well. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the hope you've put in their name and Lord, I pray that you continue to bless them as they discern what that cord to their community looks like. In Jesus' name, amen.